Do you ever sense that things are spinning out of control? What a, what a week this has been for me. I won't even go into it. But my heart is broken for several persons that I dearly love that are struggling with the world as it presents itself in their lives. It truly is a violence of sorts, not that anyone has acted physically violent, but the damage done is nonetheless there. All types of things are going on at any given occasion, and you're aware of that. Some of it is physical violence. I mean, will we run out of shooters one day? I don't know. It is awful. What we hear in the news every week is startling. The sheer meanness that is a part of the way in which people grapple with life and then figure their own solutions. It is a terrible thing. James is aware far more than we of how this is present, not only outside of the church, but it is within the church and that we are a part of it. In fact, the way in which we handle ourselves in the church bears great significance for not only the church, but for those that are outside of the church. He talks about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And as if we might have missed the point He repeats himself and says it again. However, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, then stop bragging and living in ways that deny the truth. Occasionally, Sue and I have the opportunity to go down to Broxton, Georgia. Some of you don't even know where that is. It is a small town. It is a one red light place near Douglas, Georgia. But the occasions of our going have to do with Sue's mother and daddy who lived there just across the street from the Methodist church in town. We enjoy sitting on their porch early in the mornings. We will get up early um, just to do it. It is such a wonderful thing, uh, drinking coffee there with the chickens. Some of you have heard that Fitzgerald, Georgia, has made it a part of their town that chickens would rule the day. Uh, In fact, it's a part of their law that the chickens that roam those streets cannot be messed with. They can come and go where they want. Broxton is trying to catch up with Fitzgerald. They have their own chickens that walk through the yards in the town and and they come every morning there in Broxton to the to the yard the little yard out in front of Margaret and Ellick's house and I've watched them they're as mean as they can be (laughs) you get one rooster out there it's okay but get two roosters out there they don't like that It's interesting to see the hierarchy that they develop, the pecking order, the way in which they drive each other away 
by thinking to themselves, there's not enough. There's not enough seed here. They don't realize how much seed Margaret and Alec have. (laughs) They treat each other with such meanness. James says in the church, if we were to be honest with ourselves, this is truly demonic. We don't talk about demons much or devils. He's talking about it in this passage. Whatever the case of the evil, it is fully present. It's tangible to him. I've thought to myself over this past few days, what must it have been like in the world just before the flood came? You know the story, how God spoke to Noah and said, get your family together, build this ark, this huge boat, because things have gotten so out of hand, so out of control, that the only way that I can fix it, I will send this torrential flood of waters that will come and cover the earth. And all will die except your family and those animals that you bring onto this ark. Can you imagine what life was like before that? Occasionally I think about it. I, part of it is described, but very simply so, in the Old Testament tellings. But you can imagine the drunkenness and the prostitution, the orgies, the language. Oh, the language must have been something to behold the partying, the drugs of choice. But I think to myself, is this so different than today? Is this so different than today? I was in what I call little Walmart now, just last night. And in little Walmart, there were a couple of students, there were a lot of students that were in there, but there were a couple of students that walked past me and they were talking to each other And I overheard one of them saying to the other, man, I'm going to get so wasted tonight. And I thought, this is not anything new. I mean, they haven't invented this. Our generation invented this, right? They, they, no, maybe somebody else's generation invented it. This, This has been around for a long time, but it's just, it's so sad to me. For, for the individual who spoke this, but also for the community as a whole. The violence that's done amidst us at not knowing the damage that we do. I knew of a situation in a family, a youth was struggling, I realized with some things that were going on there. And I simply asked the question, how is it with your family? And he had the good sense to look me in the eye and to speak the truth that was in his heart. He said, not good, not good at all. How do you feel about your life? Is there any sense of uneasiness about parts of it? Randall Jarrett, the poet, describes it this way, the dark, uneasy world of family life. 
Now, I know that we like to picture in our own minds uh, perfection as it should be, family as it should be. Uh, there is a, an old photographer, C.R. Savage. I bet you have seen his photographs before. He is actually from the 19th century, and it's just amazing to see some of the things that he's done. But one of the pictures that uh, was made famous of the ones that he made uh, is a picture of a table, a Christmas dinner, um, and it has there in the middle of the table, it's almost a Norman Rockwell kind of thing. It has this turkey there in the middle of the table and all of the accoutrements around it, you know, everything that would go with that in the meal. And the, the table is just perfectly set, every napkin in its place and, and all of the glasses there. And it's just, but there's not a soul seated at the table. It, it hasn't happened yet. The people have not arrived for that celebration. You and I know where the rest of the day goes, right? <laughs> we know, don't we? In Ann Tyler's book, Ladder of Years, the characters there are in conversation with each other. And at one point, they are thinking about this painting. And they say, perhaps this is the best that it got that day. How is it with you? Do you sense the dis-ease, the dis-ease of the world? Are you aware of the violence that is a part of the way in which we live, the way in which we speak, the attitudes that we have that force other people away? and that keep us in this perpetual sense of loneliness and being away from God. James talks about the humble lifestyle. Show that your actions are good with a humble lifestyle that comes from wisdom and a little further This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, talking about the bragging and living in ways. Instead, it is from the earth, natural and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and everything that is evil. But he calls us to a humble lifestyle. First, this is pure and then peaceful and gentle, obedient, filled with mercy and good actions, fair and genuine. Those who make peace sow the seeds of justice by their peaceful acts. Shane Claiborne is this young writer of justice. He seeks to reform the church in our day and age. Uh, How dare he? The church was reformed years ago, right? Is there anything else to fix? And yet he says there is something else to fix with us. You know this too. He looks like a hippie, bless him. He, he is fascinating. He speaks with such love and such insight and wisdom. Just a few years ago, he began showing up at invitations to come speak at large churches and gatherings, religious gatherings around our nation. 
And when he would show up, he would show up in these long dreadlocks, which were a part of his persona. He would have them tied back with a kerchief there, and he would have on these ragged clothes, because that's what he wore. Shoes, they, they were, were just hardly there. They were just so worn out. He would come in, and when he arrived in the narthex, in the greeting area, the greeters looked at him and thought, we need to keep this guy as far back as we can. And so they offered him seats at the back of the congregation. And he, he lovingly came in and sat down where they put him. Now, I know some of you prize those seats in the back, right? <laughs> but, but for him, this was interesting because, because it wasn't until the moderator stood up and welcomed Shane Claiborne to come speak that it occurred to the greeters that they had dissed this guy by putting him at the back. And he walked through the congregation. He said many times to the front because of the way in which the church didn't see him as being the person of Christ that he seeks to be. You and I are called to live humbly. And there's something beautiful about that. To live underneath our status. Who knows what we're worth? Who knows what we're capable of? You and I are called to live humbly as Christ's servant people. You've heard me say this, at least some of you before. One of my favorite stories, uh, it took place on the campus of the United Methodist Children's Home in Macon, Georgia, a number of years back. This wonderful place there that welcomes in children. But on this occasion, uh, it was a gathering of pastors, uh, and they were being hosted for a meal, a dinner. And it was actually a, a group of pastors that were connected with Candler School of Theology. Candler was hosting the meal, Technically, they were, they were the ones that were welcoming us in to feed us and to tell us about uh, their school again and to catch us up on what was going on. But the lady that was in charge from Candler, um, she was nervous about it all. And when I came into the room, there were a few things. Everything pretty much was in place, but there were a few things that were not in order, um, a few things that needed to be tended to yet, but it was okay. It was going to happen, and it was it was getting there. They were getting there with it, the, the kitchen staff was. And yet she was very nervous, and she began barking orders at one guy. She grabbed him by the elbow, and she began barking orders at him and telling him what to do and where to put the plates. And I thought, she doesn't realize what she's doing. She doesn't realize that we are in a building here that is named the Steve Rumford Building. And she had caught the elbow of Steve Rumford himself. <laughs> and she was, she was unaware of this great man who was giving his life in such servantly ways. What good can be done through this type of demeanor? 
the Didascalia, an early Christian treatise, has instructions for the church. Specifically, it says at one point for bishops that if they are at table, if they are sharing time together, and the room is filled with people, and a stranger comes to the door and enters the room, it does not say that someone should get up and offer this person a chair. It says that the bishop should get up and offer his chair. In fact, if there are no chairs, it is so specific as to say the bishop then may sit on the floor if needed. James is saying the only way to set some of this right in the church is to develop a totally different idea than you and I have had. And that is that it's not so much about what we can get out of what's going on here, but who we might serve. We are called to be God's humble people. This evening, you've heard me mention already that there is a worship service that will occur across the street at First Presbyterian. I hope that you will go. Uh, to show how invested you are in the community that goes beyond the doors of Pittman Park here in Statesboro. We will be gathering there for worship. Um, Some of you will remember because you were a part of it, the gathering for worship um, over at uh, the original First African Baptist Church after the Charleston Massacre. It was a wonderful service. It was just overwhelming. The Spirit was so present with us. And these fifth Sunday night services are designed to continue to bring us together as God's people here. When at that first service uh, we gathered, it was interesting because you know how they like to line preachers up at the front Well, there weren't enough chairs for all the preachers. We had preachers coming out our ears, you know, for that service. And as we came into the room, as we came into the room, it wasn't, it wasn't, it just happened that I was at the end of the line. It wasn't sort of like the last shall be first, first shall be last kind of thing. It was just that I happened to be the last of two preachers coming through the door into the sanctuary um, for that service. And we realized, we got up on stage and then we realized there aren't enough chairs here. There aren't enough chairs. And so myself and another pastor, we went down and sat on the front row, which was more than good for me. You know, I wanted to be able to see what was going on anyway, but it was not good enough for everybody that was there. Specifically, Frankie and and Gene Owens, the pastors of this church, were seated over to the side. Any of you there may remember this going on, but as the service was getting started, they began pointing towards the two of us on the front row. And I thought, they must be pointing at somebody else. And, And then I realized, no, they're not pointing at somebody else. They're pointing at us. And I was trying to figure out what they were trying to say to us. And finally, they began moving in our direction and pointing at us and then pointing at their chairs. And I thought, I get this now. They are not going to be satisfied until we are in their place. I don't remember much else about the service but that. 
it was powerful to me that their primary place was to be servant of all that were present. Do you remember, do you remember that when Jesus came in toward the city on those final days of his life, that he looked out over the city of Jerusalem and he began to cry. He began to weep for the city. Do you remember his words? He said, oh, Jerusalem, if you only knew those things that would make for peace. If you only knew those things. We're always putting this off on somebody else. I think that Jesus was talking about us. If we only knew those things that would make for peace. And what is it that makes for peace? We know this. It's not just about giving up the chair for somebody else. In fact, we can look pretty good at being humble sometimes. Jesus went to the cross for us, didn't he? He gave up his very life. I mean, he took this humility thing mighty serious. He was giving all of who he was in order that we might get the nature of God's love. It's recorded by John that Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you. And that's important for us to know. Because Jesus does wish to bring us peace. But it's Matthew's telling that really gets to me. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is speaking these Beatitudes, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peace receivers. Blessed are the peacemakers. You and I are called to generate peace. We relinquish the idea that we can have any effect on this. And we do God and ourselves an injustice. Because the things that we say and what we do and how we act around others is absolutely crucial in bringing Christ's kingdom of peace to bear here. It is out of humility, out of our willingness to be repentant, out of our willingness to be forgiving, that this world will be transformed. James says it, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, he will run away from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Doesn't he know us? Doesn't he know us? As we come to the close of worship, we're going to sing a hymn that reminds us of the words of of St. Patrick, at least words that are attributed to him. In fact, it's known as having been the words that were on his breastplate, his armor. He spoke these words from his heart. 
Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ on my left and on my right. What a beautiful thought. Is there anything else that can save us than Christ surrounding us? As we sing, I think that you'll find this tune familiar. It, if you know the tune, Morning Has Broken, it'll sound very familiar to you, this Gaelic medley. And so let's stand as we share together in singing.